All right, I'm back. And uh, if you're in Kidmo, you can head on to Kidmo. If you are a guest and have a sec- or first through fifth grader, they're welcome to walk back there as well. And, uh, and they're going to do their own time of teaching and games and things back there um, while I'm in here with you. All right, uh, let's, let's start with a word of prayer this morning, and, um, and then we're going to begin. Father, God, I thank you for just the life that is evident within this room, the life of our children, the life of those who are taking next steps in their lives, their careers, um, and growing up continually into adulthood. We thank you for just the generosity demonstrated, and, and we are only able to do that because you have shown us what generosity truly is. And I pray that you would be with us in these next few minutes. Help us to not only hear your word, but to receive your word and for it to change us. Uh, we thank you for your love. Help us to share that with all those we come in contact with. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, we have been traveling along for some time talking about just the reign of God in different ways. Uh, we spent quite a bit of time talking about what does it look like to grow? What does it look like to uh, continue to develop in your relationship um, with God? And we spent several weeks through rhythms um, that help you do that. Uh, I hope that if you have not, if you missed any of the rhythms, I, I, you can go find those online. But I hope that you're practicing some of those rhythms even during this Christmas time, um, whether it be the rhythm of reading scripture, the rhythm of prayer, the rhythm of generosity. Um, you are, if you have, are, have contributed towards our Christmas giving, that's practicing the rhythm of generosity, though I, I'm sure you're practicing that in other places and not just here. Um, there are all kinds of rhythms that we can practice. There's, there are rhythms not just for the things we're supposed to do, but the way we process the world. And so we spent um, a week talking about the rhythm of dealing with suffering within our own lives, because suffering comes to all of us. There is no way to be a strong enough Christian and avoid Suffering. Scripture says that God uh, causes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust, and uh, there is suffering on both the just and the unjust. So uh, it's a universal experience that we have. And what we've seen in the story of Jesus over these last couple of weeks is we've been focusing on the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And <clears throat> excuse me, what we what we just talked a little bit about last week was that kingdom is not just location. It's not just castle. It's not position. When we think of kingdoms or kings or queens, we typically think of somewhere like Great Britain or somewhere else that has some kind of, of monarchy. Let me just, this will distract me. There we go. Hope they don't, I hope they don't need that page open um, in just a minute. But that is more positional. When we look into scripture, there certainly is the kingdom of God, which is a kind of a kind of a reality in a place, but kingdom really denotes rule and reign and um, allowing not only him to rule in our lives, but as we discussed last week, there's a bigger picture going on in which God reigns no matter whether we invite him to or not. There is a place in which God is God, and there is no he does not need our permission to rule, but yet he chooses not to force his rule on us if we do not want him to do that. So his desire from the very beginning, we looked it through Genesis and uh, Genesis 1 through 3, we found that story kind of repeated over and over through the Old uh, Testament. 
Um, we find that God's desire for us to rule and reign with Him in a world where we love each other, where we work together, and we make sure no one has any need. In this reality in which God had created us, all are loved and all are taken care of. But we know in the story that God's rule and reign has been challenged over and over again. We read some really incredible stories in Revelation and also throughout the Old Testament in which there is uh, this battle that's going on behind the scenes that we even ourselves can't see with our eyes. Paul talks about it in the realm of we don't battle against each other. We don't battle against people. We don't battle against flesh and blood. We're battling against these principalities, these spirits of the air, these rulers that God has allowed to have some level of dominion on this world for now until he returns and there's a new heaven and a new earth. Today, I want to talk about this promised king more fully. And the reason we have this promised king is because in this world in which God invited us to rule and reign with him, in this place where all are loved and all are cared for, in which we work together and we don't have the kind of suffering and the kind of uh, of tension that we have today. We don't have the brokenness in that world. But yet, what we found was that Adam and Eve fell to the temptation that all of us fall to. And that is that somewhere along the way, I really want my definition of good and bad, my definition of right and wrong, my definition of what should and shouldn't happen in the world. I want that to be preeminent. And that's exactly what happened that is demonstrated by the eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What that ushered in was this incredible selfishness, this greed, this this brokenness in which we're trying to get ours. I'm not worried about you. And it completely contradicts all that God had intended for our relationships to be with each other. I love the song that they did today that he's trying to enter into our Egypt and he's trying to bring us into the promised land because that's really that story is repeated over and over again in the Old Testament where we are in some level of Egypt or some type of Egypt within our lives, this other kingdom that rules us. And he's constantly been inviting us out to follow him. In fact, I, I, wasn't, I didn't know they were going to do that song today. I could have. They told me they were going to, but I, I didn't, it didn't connect with me. That was the song for today. But God has been working to break into this broken world and bring us back to his original design. He's been doing that from the very beginning. He's been doing that from Genesis chapter 2. God has been trying to break in and doing that. And um, Jonathan, I have jumped ahead about four slides. I skipped a whole bunch of slides, so you might want have to skip forward. Um, I, and I skipped all those pictures too. Yeah, so I've thrown, I've thrown him off. Um, I may come back to those other pictures in just a minute. So greed, selfishness, the desire to decide for ourselves what is good and evil on our terms broke into the world, and God has been working to break in this broken world and bring us back to his original design. We see that in the story of Noah, in which God's like, I'm going to start over. But Noah found favor in God's eyes. We see that in, in the story of the Hebrews enslaved in Egypt, 
And he says, I'm going to work through these people. I'm going to redeem the world through these people. And then if you follow that story, God actually then goes on to get upset with them because Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. He receives the Ten Commandments. He comes down and they have completely ignored God. And they're now worshiping some other God. And God says, fine, I'm going to wipe them out. I'll raise up another people. And Moses says, no, 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 please don't do that. Give us another chance. And God did. He found, they found favor. God gave them grace. Moses went up and got the second set of the Ten Commandments. We see this story over and over again of God trying to break in, but there's no place that is more significant or more indicative of God's love for us than when he breaks in in the form of, of the Christ child. It is the most indicative place in which God has come to, to tell us, I, I have something better for you, and I've come for you if you will let me rule and reign in your world. Instead of following God's reign in the Old Testament, they decided God's kingship was not good enough. It was not something that they wanted. And so they decided they wanted their own king in the Old Testament. This is the line from which Jesus would come. And we discussed, I think a couple of weeks ago, or maybe I guess it was last week, the idea of Moses said that at some point you're going to want to have a king. And, and if you're going to have a king, that king should be someone who writes their own version of the Torah, the, the, the first five books of the Old Testament. They should not only write them, that should be approved by the priests, and then they should meditate on that every single day of their rule. They should not build an army. They should not gather horses for an army. They shouldn't go to Egypt, especially to import horses. And yet what we find is that the nation of Israel says we want a king And then Samuel steps in and says, oh, no, 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 you don't want a king. God is your king. See, if you you select a king, he's going to be harsh to you. He's going to enslave you. He's going to build an army with your children. He's going to take your goods. He's going to take the work of your hands for his own benefit and for the benefit of his government and for the benefit of his army. You don't want that kind of king. And what's so interesting is that every story of what Samuel said a bad king would do is paralleled by King Solomon's life. King Solomon did all the things the kings were told not to do. In fact, when we look back at all of the kings of Israel, there were 42 of them, and only eight of them were semi-okay, and all of them messed up in some major ways. We read through the book of Kings, we find that some of the most terrible kings, it was said about them that blood ran from border to border in Israel because of their evil reign. And he said, this is what it's going to look like if you ask for yourselves a king. And in all of that, and in all of what's going on in Isaiah chapter 9, when they had gone through king after king after king after king, and they were crying out for justice, and they were crying out for someone to rule them that was just, that would care for them, that would help them to return to what God had intended for them. This is what is said. This is the Old Testament, though it sounds like it's in one of the Gospels. It's not. This is, this is Isaiah written hundreds of years before these events actually happen. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. 
this was promised was hundreds of years before Jesus was born. I'm going to bring you someone to allow you to be ruled in a way that returns you to the place where you were created. A place of plenty. A place of true love for each other. A place where we support and encourage one another. A place where everyone is cared for. No one has need. This is what can happen under the kingship, rulership of Jesus. As king, as Jesus is coming onto the scene, what we find is that he could carry a sword. He could bring an army and forces back into compliance with what he had created us to be, but that's not what happened. That's not the kingdom of God, and yet we regularly slip back into the idea that that's exactly what Jesus was coming to do. The disciples struggled with this. The Jews struggled with this. One of the reasons that Jesus was crucified is not only because He said, I am the Son of God, but He was not going to be bringing the kind of kingdom that they wanted. And we see that when He's imprisoned and they say, we'll release one prisoner. You can either have Jesus or you can have Barabbas. Barabbas was a known soldier. He fought in the army for Jerusalem. He was a rebel, and they said, give us, give us the one who will fight for us, because they didn't understand what Jesus was trying to do. That's what the coming of Jesus demonstrates to us. That Jesus had every right to come with the sword. He had every right to force us back into compliance. And yet, over and over again, Jesus says, I will not force you. You must choose. You must choose. Kings of this world do not give you that option. You do not have the option to reject the authority of the king in this world, but yet God has done that. When we look back, this misunderstanding of the rule and the reign of Jesus, there was great confusion, especially around the time in which Jesus was arrested. And we find this interesting place that has was has been troubling uh, to me for a good part of my life and where it seems confusing about exactly what this kingdom was going to look like and how Jesus was going to rule and reign. And he says in Luke 22, verse 36, he said to them, this was um, before he was going to send them out. This was close to the time in which he was, well, he was about to be betrayed and arrested. And he said this to his disciples. He said, but now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise, likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that the Scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors, which is another um, prophecy from Isaiah in chapter 53 that G the coming Messiah would be numbered with the transgressors. He's saying if you have money, if you have a cloak, if you have something you can sell, you should go sell it and you should get a sword. That always bothered me. Jesus said things like, if someone hits you on the cheek, turn the other cheek to them. <laughs> he said, if you have enemies, don't fight against them. Instead, pray for them. And he went even farther than that and said, love them. What bothered me for a long time was why in the world would Jesus tell his disciples to go get a sword if he had not intended to usher in his kingdom in some way with some of the implements that we use in our kingdoms today. It goes on to say, <clears throat> it says, the scripture must be fulfilled in me. 
and he was numbered with the transgressors. <coughs> Excuse me. He was numbered with the transgressors. I've lost my spot. Oh, I'll find it. Here it was. And he was numbered with the transgressors, for what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, Look, Lord, here are two swords. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> he said, It is enough. In other words, of all that they had, and they pulled everything together, the twelve disciples were able to pull together two swords. And Jesus says, That's enough. That will accomplish our goal. Now he knows what's about to happen. He knows that the army of Rome is about to come and and arrest him why in the world would he have them bring these swords now we try to do this in a number of different ways today one kind of aggressive christianity believes that jesus should bring a sword judgmental christianity in which your sins are worse than mine attempts to rule the world with a gospel that says the sword is the way of jesus when we want to go to war with as many people as we can that's believing, and we believe that we are somehow God's righteous people, and therefore we should go and be at war with everyone who's unrighteous, and we'll pat ourselves on the back for turning, all, turning over all the evil governments in the world. That is the belief that Jesus decides to reign with a sword. And the disciples believed this. The disciples wanted this. And in fact, many people believe that the prophecies about Jesus were about this. We are tired of being overtaken. The Babylonian captivity was in their minds. We were overrun. They captured us. They moved us out of the promised land, and we labored there. And the tactics when you were overcome and you were taken captive by another nation were terrible because for the nation of Israel, bloodline was so important. Stay pure in your bloodline. You are my people. And yet, one of the prevailing tactics when you would overcome a people was to intermingle populations so that there was no pure bloodline of your enemy anymore how do you make a people fully accept your kingdom uh, let your kids be of that nationality and they will then accept your kingdom and so they struggled and they said we want somebody that will protect us we want somebody who's going to come and they're going to take over and they're going to establish us as a nation that will rule the nations israel the only superpower in the whole world that was what so many people wanted and then we have this really interesting, curious thing that happens when Jesus is arrested. And when you think back and think, well, you just told them to get swords. What is happening here? In verse 49, when those who were around him saw uh, what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? Well, they had two of them. I mean, why not? You've got a bunch of soldiers. Two swords ought to be enough, Right? One of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Now this creates a kind of a problem for us. For one, why in the world did Jesus tell them that they needed a sword? If he didn't intend them to use it. And when they did use it, called them down on it and then healed the one that they wounded. All in trying to rescue Jesus. See, Jesus did peculiar things like this. Jesus does peculiar things whenever someone chooses to, to follow him. Peter, when Jesus was talking to Peter and he said, 
um, listen, I, I have to pass away, and in three days I will, I will return, but, but I must die. Peter said, oh no, it will not happen. You remember that is the moment in which Jesus looked at him and called him the Satan. And Peter's concern was for Jesus. Peter's concern was for his life. And no, we, we don't, we, we're not going to let this end like this. We've seen too much. Too much has happened. And over and over again, Jesus would then have to explain what he's doing. So if the kingdom is not to be about the sword, then what is this kingdom supposed to be about? What does it look like for us to live in the kingdom today? This is a struggle that we still have. I had the opportunity this week to go with a bunch of pastors. We had, uh, we had several nationalities from several different uh, continents. And um, we had some white pastors, some African-American pastors, some Latino, South American pastors go on a trip to explore um, two museums, three museums this week. Uh, we went down to the Civil Rights Museum in Birmingham, and uh, it was uh, it was a somber event. <laughs> uh, the next day, we went down to Montgomery to the Equal Justice Institute, which is all about chattel slavery, and uh, and it was difficult. And the conversations we had were difficult, um, but helpful. Uh, we got to talk to each other and say, you know, some of us who we, you know, we never, you know, a number of the stories I never learned in school. They just kind of get glossed over. Um, the third museum was a part of the Equal Justice Institute. It's it's been um, nicknamed the Lynching Museum, and it's just a it's a massive park. Um, that has the name of every known person who was lynched um, from Reconstruction to roughly early 1900s. Uh, and there's a lot of them. I got a picture. They, they did them by counties. I got a picture of there were four in Hamilton County. Uh, two or three of those were from the Walnut Street Bridge that we celebrate and walk under. Um, but, you know, the what we saw was a testament to the misunderstanding of the kingdom. And what it's supposed to be about. A number of the people that perpetrated these acts and a number of people that um, legislated these acts and, and justified these acts were Christians. They were Christians. A number of the quotes were from Christians saying this is what God wants. This idea that uh, white people were inferior. Um, it was troubling. It was troubling. And when we look at those things and we see this abuse of power... We see this oppression of people that um, one of the things that, that I appreciated about the museum was it didn't, they didn't just focus on what happened in America or this, this was a worldwide problem. Slavery was a worldwide problem. But it also talked about how are these type of oppressive behaviors still happening today? In what parts of the world are these oppressive behaviors still happening today? And there were, the only way for that part of our history to have been justified within the church was to believe that Jesus came with a sword and anyone that we believed was evil should be cut down. That's the only way. There's no other way to view the teachings of Jesus and come to the conclusion that, you know what we should do? We should own another person. 
That, that, that would never happen. And this is something we struggle with. We struggle. One of the, one of the heartaches that I struggle with these kingdoms Jesus coming into this baby, into this small town with no room in the inn for him. And the imagery that we have where we seek power and, and domineerance over another people, no matter who they are. Jesus, he was the exact opposite of that. But we find ways in which power helps us. I, I've talked to a number of you about, you know, my. I, 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 I'm just fascinated by how we've come to where we are. And a lot of that comes back to, to the, the mid-300s A.D. with Constantine. Where Christianity was so inter, intermingled with power, that's where we get our, our Christian right and our Christian left. The idea that the way God intends to bring His kingdom to the world is through political, earthly kingdom power in which Jesus constantly rejected. But I grew up in the, wor- in the world that said, God is going to change the world through politicians. I- I'm not sure what they were drinking or smoking. You know what I'm saying? Why we thought that politicians were actually going to fix the world? Craziness. Jesus never believed that was the way to the kingdom. And yet, we see this kingdom building. We see this kingdom building in our nations. We see this kingdom building... Sometimes in our churches, it's about us and no one else. We see this in our li- own lives. I, I, I'm tempted to build my own kingdom where I'm king. I rule. I get to say what goes. I have more than everyone else. I, I, I desire that just as much as anyone does. That's part of that inner sinful temptation that says, you deserve more than others. That's really the oldest temptation in the book. And yet that's not what Jesus came to do. That's not what Jesus demonstrated by being born as this child in this little nothing town with no room in the inn, laying in a manger. How, how, do we, how do we find what this kingdom is? Whether we, we now believe that God's going to work through politicians or, 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 or um, we have problems with um, you know, science. We've, we've created this this uh, tension between faith and science that shouldn't exist. It shouldn't exist. Uh, but it, it's created because we want everyone to agree with us rather than to explore this enormous, magnificent world in which God has created and occasionally pulls back the curtains and let, lets us see how He did it. There's, there's no tension between faith and science, and yet a number of people leave the faith now because we say, oh, science is of the devil. We better be careful saying that. God, the devil didn't put gravity into place. The devil didn't put repeatable, scientific, observable events into place. God did that when he created. Well, we also make a mistake when we worship science, and that's what's happening. We're, we're a number of people, and especially a number of young people, as, as this scientific... Uh, revolution that's been happening for decades now that somehow the fact that we can observe something means that it happened means that it happened uh just because we can observe something doesn't mean we made it happen amen 
And that is a problem that we're going to have to address as Christians. Somehow that we, put our, we pit ourselves against God at times. We perpetuate the root of all sin by deciding what we think is right and enforcing our will on everyone else. That's not the kingdom of God. That's not how Jesus rules. And yet we do that. We determine who has the greatest sins and we... We judge them, and we want to make sure they know they're going to hell. And Jesus didn't do that. That's not how He rules. And we better understand, what does that mean? We're, so we're going to spend a lot of time next week talking about, well, how does Jesus rule in our lives? We better, better understand the difference between these kingdoms. And if you pull all the things we've talked about kingdoms together, we better understand this, that whenever we come to Luke chapter 2 and we get the birth story, um, and we see what's happening around the events. The story is very important. The way that um, the ancient Hebrews and the Jewish people communicated events is fascinating. And while we read a story based on event A happened, then event B happened, then event C happened, then event D happened, and that's what happened. That's the way we tell stories, but that's not the way they told stories. Their stories were so deep, dripping with nuance and meaning and things that you dig in and figure out, what are they saying here? And yet, I don't think it's a mistake that they began the story of Jesus' birth with a ruling, reigning person named Herod. We come to this story in, in Luke chapter 2, and, and we find Mary and Joseph, and they are uh, headed back to the birthplace of Joseph, Joseph's family, which is Bethlehem. And do you remember why they're traveling back to do that? There's a census. Now, governments use censuses really for two reasons. Uh, number one, to know who's in the kingdom. And number two, to be able to tax them. That's why we do censuses. Like, I'll, Let's make sure everyone's getting taxed correctly. And those taxes then go to build the kingdom, to build the army to build a national defense, to be able to, to fund the government. And in this time, we see this expansion of the kingdom of God in which God never told us to do. Or not the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of, of earth, which God never told us to do. And at this time, it wasn't Egypt, it was Rome. But Rome followed the exact same tactics of, of Egypt. And it says, verse 8, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord showed around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying um, in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard and wondered at what the shepherds had told them, but Mary treasured up all these things pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen 
as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So here is Jesus, yet again, entering into our Egypt, just as we sang a few minutes ago. Except it's not Egypt, it's Rome. Right? Here he is, the baby, entering into our story. God made flesh, while all the kingdoms of the world bring chaos, disorder, and suffering. He says, I am here to usher in a kingdom of hope, a kingdom of joy, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of love, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. I am here to bring it to you, and literally, I am in the flesh. I am here, entering into our Egypt to bring us back to the promised land. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. God came in the flesh. I've heard it said that Jesus became human to show us what humans were supposed to be like. <laughs> I think there's some uh, there are some some things that distinguish the Son of God from the rest of humanity. But had we never fallen, had sin never entered into the world, Jesus became human to show us what humanity was supposed to look like. Which he said. All of the Old Testament law, all of the teachings that you have from the prophets before you, I'm not doing away with any of those. I'm just showing you what they look like. Showing you what it looks like to live this out. I'm showing you what it looks like to live within the kingdom. I'm showing you what it looks like for God to reign in your hearts and in your lives and what it could look like if God reigned over all the earth, which we know is not going to happen until He returns. We can't, we can't create a nation state and put the Bible as its constitution and have the best military in the world and, and at gunpoint force the rest of the world to follow what we do. That is not the way of Jesus. And if you want to guarantee if people don't want to follow Jesus, just put a gun to their head and tell them to follow Jesus. That's, a, a, that's what Islamic terrorists do. That's what they do. It doesn't work. They may say, yeah, I'll convert to, to Islam, but they don't have their hearts. And what we know by following the teachings of Jesus is it doesn't matter what we say with our mouths as much as what we do with our hearts. We can say one thing and not mean it in our hearts. Do it all the time. Jesus is born without an earthly kingdom. He doesn't have this earthly kingdom. He doesn't have an army. He doesn't have a castle. He doesn't have a place in which he can rule and the rest of the world will look at him and say, now that's a great ruler. It was offered to him, if you'll remember. And he goes and he's tempted in the desert. And the devil comes and says, and tempts him and says, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world if you'll just bow down to me. And he says, no. My kingdom's not of this world. I don't want, that's not what I want. I, I don't want to be made ruler of the earthly kingdoms. I'm ushering in the kingdom of God here. And it's far greater than those kingdoms what we find is jesus doesn't take a sword and find the power structures and power structures and turn them over but instead jesus constantly sought out the poor the hurting the oppressed and the rejected no one ever established a kingdom that way but jesus did it gives us a glimpse into what his kingdom was supposed to look like 
And what we know by reading throughout the Old and New Testament is that this is the moment in which the battle with the nations begins. But this battle won't be fought with swords. It won't be fought with missiles. It won't be fought with armies. This battle will be fought by a people that turn the other cheek. That when told to give up their coat, will give up their shirt too. That when struck on one cheek, they will turn the other. And what we see leading up to the moment of Constantine legalizing Christianity and mixing it all up with a national power, which is the exact opposite of the kingdom of God, what we see is a people who marched to their death into an arena in which they were eaten by lions as they held their children and said, the kingdom of God is greater than this. They had found the pearl of great price. They had found the thing that we so easily forget because we're so distracted. Our, our attention is taken to all of these other places. But this is what the kingdom of God was about. In this battle with the nations, God's ultimate goal is to restore us through Jesus. But in doing so, that's going to happen. We choose to do that through repentance. This is a choice. We don't get on our knees with a sword on our necks. He says, just repent and believe the gospel, which is that I'm taking you back home. And instead of being met with judgmentalism, with fear, or with oppression, in which God has every right to do as the ruler of all things, Instead, we are met with grace. We are met with mercy. This kingdom is very different than the world that you and I live in. This kingdom is very different at times in the world I was taught that the kingdom of God was when I was growing up. As we go back and we explore God's Word, not just the, the, the stories we all know, but we dig and we dig and we want to know the truth and that it grabs hold of us and draws us forward and deeper into His truth, into what He's doing in the world. It changes what it means for us to be the kingdom. So I'm going to leave you with three things to consider this morning. Now, I've been told by my children that when I said I'm wrapping up, they don't believe me. The man doesn't either. Well, ick on them. So that wasn't very kingdom-minded, was it? Three things to consider. Number one, Jesus' life consistently demonstrated that the kingdom of God, which is also called the kingdom of heaven, is not like the kingdoms of this world. When we operate like the kingdoms of this world, we are no longer the kingdom of God. Which means we really ought to figure out what the kingdom of God is. I want you to consider that. Whenever we as the church, we as individuals, act like the kingdoms of the world, something's wrong. Second thing to consider is this. There is a now and not yet of the kingdom of God. This is that uncomfortable place in which we wish there was no more not yet, that everything was right now. And that is the fact that Jesus has come. When you hear people during very difficult times talk about, we are now in the end times. Like, congratulations, we have been for 2,000 years. Like, we've literally been in the end times since, uh, since Jesus. So when, there, when someone wants to say, these are indicative, now we know we're in the end times. They, they don't know their Bible. They don't know their Bible. Because we've been in the end time since Jesus was, was here. There's a now. The ability to experience Jesus now. Like your family can, can be blessed by the reign of God in your life. I want to brag on one of our, our kids this morning. I've already told their parents. I walked in this morning and both Josh and Stephanie were here. Um, they were all helping in, in 
uh, rehearsal this morning, and I walked in, and Zeke, he's not in here. That's why I'm telling the story. If he was in here, I wouldn't tell the story. Zeke's getting baptized next week, by the way. But uh, so I walk in, and I hear this little sheepish, quiet voice. He says, he says, uh, Pastor Mark. Now, Zeke is a, I mean, he's a gentle child. I mean, of course, he did try to kill his cousin a few minutes later. But he's, in general, he's a gentle child. Um, but, uh, but there was just this sheepishness in his voice. And so I said, I said, yes, Zeke. And he said, we were, we were playing football, and we broke one of the frames. And I, I said, you know, I just walked in. I, you did, did what? Like, what happened? Uh, we broke a frame. So I followed him in there, and they were throwing football in one of the kids' rooms. And it hit one of our pictures. We've got these pictures in the kids' rooms. And they're plastic because this is what happens when you have kids' rooms. You don't want glass in there. And, and so he, he points to it, um, and there's a little bit of crack. Like, I would never have noticed it. And no one else would, too. And he could so easily have just, like, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. And he said, we broke it. And so here he does this thing. Nobody forces him to come tell me. He just decides the right thing to do is to come fess up. That's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of God. And, and he was sheepish because I know he thought I was about to kill him. Because, you know, you just don't know about the pastor. Pa- some pastors are pretty rough, right? Like, you just don't know if the pastor's going to come down on you or not. And, and I said, you know what, Zeke? That's going to be okay. That's no big deal. Thank you for telling me. And this, uh, this flood of relief, <laughs> flood of relief over him, and he just ran over and gave me a big hug. Because you know what? That's the kingdom of God, too. Uh there's no need for judgment there. There's no need for punishment. Now, unless you believe that I'm a perfect parent, I have three or four children here. Uh, no, three. One of them is not back yet. But I have three children here who will definitely tell you any number of stories that demonstrate I'm not a perfect parent, and I don't always handle things like that. But today I did. He took responsibility for something he accidentally did, And that's the kingdom of God. And he was met with forgiveness and restoration, which is the kingdom of God. And and the result of the kingdom of God being experienced in that moment, which could easily have just been like, oh yeah, they just had this conversation. It was no big deal. Those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, let them see and hear. This is the kingdom of God. And what happens when the kingdom of God comes to someone? There is relief and there is joy. And as we light each of these candles at Advent, Advent, there is peace and there is hope. This is the kingdom of God. There's a now and a not yet of the kingdom of God in which Jesus is here and He lives within us through the Holy Spirit. There's a kingdom of God that is here now in which we experience this and no matter what happens, whether they take our lives or tell us we can't worship or whatever, they can't do that because the kingdom of God is not constrained by the laws of the kingdom of earth. But there's also a not yet because there's a time in which Jesus is going to come and then it's going to all be the kingdom of God. That's all that's going to be left. And so we live in that reality of the now and not yet. This is a way of life that can be frustrating for us, but yet this is the way of of Jesus. So consider that. There's a now and not yet of this kingdom that is here right now, but there's more coming. 
And then the third thing to consider is this, is how are we continuing that work of the kingdom around us? How are we continuing the ministry of this Christ child, born with no room in the inn, placed in a manger, never owned possessions, never had political power, and yet he would rule the world? How do we continue that work? Next week we're going to take that up, make, make that a little more personal. And what does that look like in our own personal lives? That at Christmas we think about Jesus coming into our lives, ruling us. As we've said before, this is a gentle rule. He, said, he says, um, just if we will follow Him, His ways are gentle. His yoke is easy. And as I mentioned last week, I, I think we're, gonna, we're just going to hit the Sermon on the Mount, which is considered the yoke of Jesus starting after the first of the year. And we're just going to stay in it until we're done. The primary principle teachings of Jesus of what it looks like to live in the kingdom will be found in the Sermon on the Mount. So I think we're just going to do that. Um, all right, I'm going to pray with you. I am done. Jonathan Love. Um, Jonathan's done a great job out there. And uh, thank you again for all of your gifts. Um, please be back next week. We're going to baptize um, Zeke and his sister Leilani. Um, and we might have some others that are going to be baptized as well. So we're waiting to make sure that that's going to happen. Um, but let me pray. Father, I pray for those in this room who in the name of kingdom of God have been dealt a hand by the kingdom of the earth. We have labeled the tactics of the kingdom of the earth as yours, and they are not yours. We have subjugated and oppressed. We have hurt. We have judged. We have placed ourselves in a place higher than others, and that is not your way. You have called us to be a people that rescues the oppressed. You have called us to a people that rescues the captives. You have called us to be a people who goes to the poor. You have called us to a people to be a people who rejects the power of this world to demonstrate the power of God. I pray for those in this room, and they have been on the on the end of the power of the kingdom of earth for so long. They can't even believe that the kingdom of God exists or is any different. Father, I pray that your word would become alive in every one of our hearts. This would not just be theoretical, this would not just be philosophical, but this would be the way in which we live our lives. I thank you that there's an already component to your kingdom, and we can experience that right now. Just like this interaction this morning, interactions we can have in our families, with our co-workers, with our neighbors. But I'm also thankful that in all of the suffering and the hurt and the pain that is still in this world, there is a not yet because you are coming and you are taking it all away. There will be a new heaven and a new earth and we will reign with you just as you had intended. Thank you for your patience and for your grace and mercy and the forgiveness you've given us when we sin repeatedly. Give us the patience to forgive the sins of others. Give us the eyes to see 
what it looks like to be the kingdom in those conversations, in those moments that we will usher in the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of the earth. We will usher in grace, not judgment. We will usher in love, not hate. We will usher in justice, not blind eyes because it doesn't pertain to us. Let us be a people that brings the kingdom of God throughout this earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.